0: You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky, a congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Tradition. We are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice. But from time to time, you'll find guest preachers on this podcast, too. Thanks for listening.
1: We are, you may discover, in the middle of Mark's telling of a day in the life of Jesus. Last week opened up with Jesus in a very public role. He was preaching in the local synagogue in the fishing village of Capernaum on the Sabbath. And the folks gathered around are all astonished at his teachings. And then they're amazed when he heals a man bound up by a demon right there in the middle of the synagogue. It's an action-packed scene, and then on that same day, Mark tells us, Jesus moves from the public space of a synagogue into the more private home of Simon and Andrew's house, and there's a group of them gathered there. James and John, too. Perhaps they're getting together for an afternoon meal. Isn't that what you do after you come to worship? Right? Remember, Jesus had just called them to follow him back a few verses above this. And so they've already left their nets, which seems to be a way of saying that they've left behind their family businesses. But it seems they've kept their house and they've maintained their family connections. They weren't kicked out of the house when they left the business. And we need to imagine that this is not a single house, but more like a multi-family kind of compound with several homes close together, sharing resources and labor. And they're all there when someone shares the news that Simon's mother-in-law is laid up in bed with a fever. Mark says, and they told him about her right away. Hmm, they told him about her right away. Was it because she was sick or because she's the one that always cooks the meals after Sabbath prayers? I wonder, no time for her to kick off the sandals, sit down and read the paper, or even watch the game on TV, no. So Jesus goes up to her, takes her hand, and raises her up, and just like that, the fever's gone. Wow. <laughs> I don't know about your house, but if someone's been sick and then feels better... You know, we don't usually shove them into the kitchen and tell them to get back to work, do we? You say, sit down. Would you like something to drink? Can I get something for you? You need to rest. Take care of yourself. Because we know being sick is exhausting, isn't it? It makes you weary. But in Simon Peter's house, apparently, you just get back to work. Mark says she began to serve them. Or maybe it's only because she's a woman did I go there? (laughs) I confess that this has never been one of my favorite stories. I mean, four big, strong fishermen and Jesus. Jesus who can turn water to wine and multiply loaves and fishes, and they can't finish a Sabbath pot roast on their own. I just don't get it. Surely they could fire up the grill and roast a lamb or something. I suppose we could just chalk this one up to the way things used to be, right? After all, they're living in a patriarchal system, one in which the woman's sphere is in the home, right? In the private spaces. And Jesus restores her, Mark tells us, so of course she's going to go back to her place in the kitchen. No wonder we never learn her name because it seems who she is doesn't really matter in this story. We could say she was so happy to be free of her fever that whipping up a Sabbath casserole seemed the least she could do to show her gratitude to Jesus. I wonder, though, could there be something more to this story, to her story? First of all, if we're going to look into it, I prefer that we just don't refer to her as Peter's (laughs) mother-in-law. Just for today, can we pretend and give her a name? There are only two women specifically named as mother-in-laws in in the Bible, and the first one is Naomi, mother-in-law to Ruth, and great-great-grandmother of King David. So for the purposes of today, for telling this story, even though she's unnamed, I'm going to call Peter's mother-in-law Naomi. So let's look a little closer at Naomi's story. Jesus comes to Naomi and he takes her hand. So stop there. He takes her hand. In our bulletin this morning, Rembrandt catches that moment in a quick sketch. It's this intimate encounter in which Jesus comes face to face with a woman in need, and what does he do? He reaches out to her and takes her hand. In our weekly Vespers, we've been considering the Christian practice of honoring the body. And too often, Christian tradition has looked askance at the human body. We've been embarrassed by our fleshiness, But here, in one encounter, we see Jesus, who's been anointed by God's Spirit, grasping hands with another human being, acknowledging both her embodiedness and her physical suffering. You see, for Jesus and for God, bodies are good. Bodies are created by God in God's image for wholeness and for well-being, and here, In just one gesture, Jesus is embodying the realm of God in the flesh and restoring health in human existence. So Jesus takes Naomi by the hands and lifted her up. The Greek word translated as lifted her up is egerin. It's the same verb used when Jesus takes the hand of Jairus' daughter, who's also unnamed in the gospel, go figure, and commands her to get up, and in doing so raises her from the dead in chapter 5 of Mark's gospel. And it's the same word used at the very end of the gospel when a young man at the tomb tells the women who have come to anoint the body of Jesus, he has risen, he is not here. So perhaps this may be a clue. That Naomi's story may have something more to it than simply banishing a fever. That maybe this new life stuff of the kingdom is, as Jesus has been proclaiming, actually come near to human beings. It's come near to Simon Peter's house. Near to this woman. Then the fever left and she began to serve them. I'm geeking out today on the Greek. I apologize. The Greek word translated in our reading today as began to serve is diakony, from which the word from which we get the word deacon and diaconate. And it's not the first time that this word has appeared in Mark's gospel. It's the same word used to describe how the angels cared for Jesus after his time in the wilderness. So here in chapter one, the men may have been called to follow, but it's a woman who first understands that the proper response to the gift of healing is to serve. Amazingly, it's Simon Peter's mother-in-law and not Peter, who is the first deacon in the gospel. In the first day of Jesus's ministry, it's Naomi who recognizes the honor of service that Jesus will be modeling for all of us and calling his disciples to emulate, to serve, diakone. That word diakone will show up again in Mark's gospel In chapter 10, after Jesus has made the turn to go up to Jerusalem where he will be handed over and executed, James and John come to him, those men who chose to follow Jesus. And they ask him to sit at his right and his left hand to assume positions of power in the kingdom, and all the rest of the disciples are miffed when they hear the audacious request, because that's what they want to. Jesus sets them all straight. He says, whoever among you wants to be great must be a servant, a diakone of all. For I came not to be served, but to serve diakonos. In this kingdom of God which Jesus is embodying, Jesus came to do exactly what Peter's mother-in-law, Naomi, does here, which is to serve. The word shows up again in chapter 15, this time in the shadow of the cross, at Jesus' last breath, Mark tells us that there are some women there watching from a distance. And at this point, remember, all the male disciples Jesus had called, they're all gone. Simon Peter has already denied him three times, and the rest of them have fled into the night.
0: But here at the
1: cross, Mark says, there are some women. And among the women, Mark tells us, there's Mary of Magdala. Mary the mother of James the younger and Joseph and Saloma and many other women who were not named, but who had come up with Jesus to Jerusalem. And then Mark gives us an additional description of those women that remain. He says, they are the ones who regularly followed Jesus and who provided for the or ministered to him. I wonder, could it be that Peter's mother in law, whom we're calling Naomi, was also there at the cross? As one who had followed Jesus, who had served him, who had provided for him, who had ministered to him, who models for us what it means to be a disciple, those disciples, all women who had followed Jesus' as an example and teaching, are now there at the cross remembered. Back in chapter one at Peter's house, once the sun sets, the Sabbath day is over, which means folks are no longer observing a Sabbath rest, and they begin to bring their sick to Jesus because word has gotten out, and it gets a little wild. Mark describes it as the whole city is gathered at the door, which I suspect is a bit of an exaggeration. But Mark wants us to get a sense of the urgency of the moment. Every last person at that door is someone in need, and the word has gotten out that the kingdom of God has come near, and they want a part of it. So Jesus responds to their needs. As a once private home becomes a very public place of healing, and Jesus heals and heals and sets people free. Can you imagine the scene? I'm tired for Jesus at this point in the story. I mean, he's had a packed day full of teaching and healing without a break. And to be honest, after one Sunday service, I'm ready for a nap. And Jesus had this long day and night meeting the needs of everyone at the door. He needs some rest. But what does he do he gets up early the next morning while it was still very dark and he steals away to a deserted place mark tells us which i think we can find as encouraging not the getting up early bit necessarily but the needing to get away for some solitude and renewal you see even jesus gets weary in mark's gospel He spent so much time giving of himself to the people of Capernaum that he has to steal away for some prayer and respite. I wonder, did he have those poetic words of the psalmist and the prophet Isaiah with the imagery of eagles' wings, which the choir sang for us? For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up. Or as Isaiah puts it, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We're only in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. But remember, Mark is setting up a pattern for Jesus' ministry for us here. After his baptism, before his ministry begins, what does Jesus do? He goes out into the wilderness to a deserted place for a time of prayer, for a time of regaining strength, energy, direction, renewal. And here again, Jesus teaches, he heals, he casts out demons, and then he retreats again to a deserted place because he needs a time of renewal. If Naomi, Simon's mother-in-law, understands Jesus' radical call to service as the way of discipleship, Peter, in this story, by contrast, is clueless. Folks are back at his door at the first light of day, and does Peter serve them? Does he practice diacono? No. He and the other disciples go out and hunt for Jesus. Some translations, like the NIV, soften it up and say Peter or Simon went out to look for him. But hunted for him is a better translation. Actually, hunted him down might even be more precise. The Greek has an implicit, strong, hostile implication. They track Jesus like an animal. Why? Why? I think because in their view, Jesus is neglecting his duties. On the second day of his ministry, Simon Peter is out to correct Jesus. Later on in the gospel, we know Simon will try this again to alter the trajectory of Jesus' ministry. And both times he will fail miserably. (laughs) Simon thinks he knows what Jesus is called to do. That Jesus needs to get back to work. Not sit around in prayer. The crowds are demanding his attention. But Jesus in this pattern of taking time to go back to his calling, to refresh his spirit again, that is not idle time. That's centering time for Jesus. I think there's wisdom here for us as well. The crowds push in. You know, daily demands on us are high, and it is easy to get lost in the rush. And under the pressure of the immediate, we can lose our way, our focus, our calling. Simon Peter feels the pull of the demands of the crowd at his door. And what does Jesus do? He says, let's move on. Let's go somewhere else. In Mark's gospel, we're beginning to get a picture of what the realm of God is like. In Jesus, we see a God that is on the move. A God that refuses to be contained by our short-sighted vision or by our immediate demands or by the tyranny of the urgent. Now, in time we know that that house of Simon Peter and Andrews will indeed become a place of prayer for Christians. That one day it will be a gathering place for a church for a faith community. It will become known as a place of healing for future generations. It will be that out-of-the-way place that pilgrims go to for rest and renewal. It will be a place to celebrate the presence of Christ in the community, but not yet. You and I, we, the church, like Jesus, I think, have a multifaceted call. There is the call of service to diocony. And you know, at heart, most of us are doing people, aren't we? I mean, we're pragmatic. Some of us have that little Appalachian do it yourself spirit in us. Give us a list, give us a set of tasks, and let's get busy. Let's get busy which makes the other part of that call of Christ, the call to rest, all the more a challenge. Not only are we called to serve, but we're also called for times of intentional renewal and reflection, to moments of deep listening, so that we can be open to where the Spirit is leading us now. It's difficult, isn't it? Not to be pulled by the immediate demands of the crowd. To instead choose at times to prioritize the deepening of our relationship with God and to be open to the new places that God is already at work in and wants us to be there too. I'm not always good at that balance. It's easy just to keep at it, to keep doing what we've always done before and to skip that regular practice of centering ourselves both individually and collectively on God's presence. We're at the end of the epiphany season. We're at the end of the time where we've been intentionally reflecting on the revelation of God in Jesus. And here in Mark's story, we see Jesus at work and at rest. And both of those done in tune with the call of God upon his life. It's a depiction of balance, of grounding in prayer and discernment, and at the same time, a clear focus on doing, on service. We can't do one without the other. At one extreme is burnout, and at the other is isolation from others. Like Jesus, I think, when we are tending to our spiritual connections to the sacred, when we are reminding ourselves of our belovedness, that enables us to connect with others, to respond to each new day as diakonia as servants called by God in love to reach out to our neighbor and grab their hand. Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.